What's up, guys? Welcome to the Social Bamboo Podcast. Today, I am joined by Jenny Melrose. Jenny runs a podcast of her own. It's called, man, I need to always look this up before I just press record. It's the Influencer Entrepreneur, right? That's right. Okay, good, good. Uh, the Influencer Entrepreneur, I'm like, there. it may be the Entrepreneur Influencer. Um, the Influencer Entrepreneur, she's been running the podcast now for five years, coming out with an episode a week, which uh, I've just hit my three-year anniversary, so I know uh, how crazy insane that is to show that level of consistency to hit five years of running her podcast. Uh, We just connected on Instagram and decided to uh, come on each other's shows uh, because we have totally different skill sets. And today she's going to be talking about how to pitch brands on your on deals. So for those of you that are influencers, or even if you have your own business, but you're a personal brand and would like to monetize on the side by reaching out to personal brands and doing some posts for them uh, or various other things that she's going to get into. Uh, we're going to talk all about that today. So Jenny, how's it going? Excellent. Thank you so much for having me on Derek. I'm excited about this conversation. I am too. Uh, whenever someone has a totally different skill set than me. I'm all ears. So um, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of questions for you. Uh, before we get into that, give me a little bit of the background of how you get start uh, got started in the social media world. Yes, no, absolutely. So um, back in 2009, when there was pretty much dinosaurs roaming the earth, it seems like when you talk about the internet that way, um, I started a food block called the Melrose Family, where I created quick and easy recipes and projects for busy parents. And I was also a full-time teacher and I had a six-month-old at the time. Thought it was the perfect time to start a new venture, start something on the side, side hustle. And I kind of just fell in love with it. I loved the online world. I loved social media. I loved all the different ways that it would change and grow. At the time, Instagram didn't exist. TikTok obviously didn't exist. And Pinterest was just starting. It was a baby. So I really, over the course of, I don't even know how many years it is at this point. I can't even do the math that quick. Um, But... I've really seen all the different changes in social media, um, all the different ways that things have been able to kind of grow organically as well as then paid for through ads and things of that nature. So back in 2018, I actually sold the Melrose family um, for six figures because I, at that time, was also speaking around the country pre-COVID, of course. Um about how I was able to grow a food blog, monetize it, and replace a teacher salary at that time so that I was able to do it full-time and started the podcast back um, in 2016. And it just has become its own kind of entity, old personal brand. (laughs) So how do you sell the Melrose family to someone who's not a Melrose? Yes. So the Melrose family at that time was actually, we had multiple contributors. Um, So it was kind of grown as this idea of it more being a community, a magazine kind of area where people could come to be able to get recipes and projects. So it didn't, even though they didn't have to be a Melrose um, as far as their last name, it would still work because we always had different contributors that were part of that family. We considered everyone family, even our readers. So even though they didn't have that last name, it still was able to, we were able to sell it. Okay, cool. Uh, that makes sense. I would think that would maybe be a, a difficult transition when the, the content is changing all of a sudden if it's like a new author. Um, but it, it sounds like there's a lot of contributing authors. So it wasn't like this just drastic change all of a sudden where it's just obviously not you running it anymore. 
Yes. It had definitely shifted from, it wasn't so much a personal brand as it was more of a database of being able to find all these recipes and projects. Okay. So it was just kind of resource. Cool. Cool. Uh, So I think some people, when they hear that your blog makes like even any money, they're like, how, like, where does it come from? Like they (laughs) they just have no idea where, uh, how a blog can make money. Give us uh, just some of the ways that it was monetized. Yes. So anytime you go to Pinterest and you click through on a recipe that you find, or if you're on Instagram and you happen to click link in the story and it takes you over to that recipe, um, you'll notice that there's ads that will pop up within the recipe. Um, and though that that's actually how a lot of food bloggers will make their money style bloggers from actual ads. Every time someone comes through, we get a little bit of a kickback um, from those ads just populating. And if someone actually clicks in the ad, we get a little bit more. Um, so ads is definitely a piece of it. Although normally we're looking at least for a blog that you're making about 20, you're getting about 25,000 page views or sessions um, in a 30 day period. So you have to get a lot of people coming over to your site at that time. Um, I personally definitely made a decent amount of money from ads. And I also made a huge portion of my income from sponsorships, working with brands in order to create sponsored content where I would use one of their products within my ingredient list of what I was creating and I would develop a recipe for them. Um, So that was a large part. And then also other bloggers definitely also make it from affiliate income, from recommending and getting a small percentage of the sale that is made from that affiliate product. And then of course, products and services of their own. And a lot of times that that last component, products and services of their own, is a lot of times what they add later, right? Yes. A lot of bloggers, yes, definitely. We come from a different kind of headspace of we're not really sure what our product or service is going to be. We come from wanting to be able to be creative. A lot of them are very creative, really like to put out content and if they're depending upon what niche they're in, food, house, DIY, they're trying to share and just really show people how to improve their lives in like little ways that can be done in, at home simply from making um, soda bread to redecorating their living room or whatever it might be, depending upon the niche. Yeah, they're, they're more starting it with the passion for the, the hobby and the project. And sometimes they might not even be thinking that their blog is going to turn into much and then all of a sudden it does. And then it, just everything keeps going after that, right? Yes, absolutely. A lot of times what kicks in then is Google ends up picking them up and they start paying more attention to keywords and SEO and making sure that their content is whenever you go looking for something that they're the ones answering the questions that you're asking. So a lot of times people will say, oh, I got this great idea from Pinterest. No, you didn't. That idea came from a blogger. The blogger's pin happened to be on Pinterest. There's no little Pinterest fairies running around creating all this stuff. It's all bloggers and their content. That was a social media network that a lot of us used um, in order to get our content out there and let people know different ways they can kind of inspire them. So there's a point at which these bloggers get big enough that brands will start reaching out to them. Uh, But in the meantime, a, a lot of the process is probably going to be more on them to reach out to brands in order to make these deals happen, right? Before they're you know, really getting that exposure, they're needing to go out and find these deals themselves. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about that process. 
Yes. So that can start as uh, people always ask, when can I reach out? Do I have to have a certain amount of followers on Instagram? Do I have to have a certain number of page views on my blog? And it really comes down to do you know who your audience is? Do you know why they're coming to you and what the problem is that, that you are solving for them? Because that's what the brand cares about. They care about the people that are coming to you, that are listening to you. Um, if you think about that influencer that maybe you see talking about their new spring idea for wearing the boots or shoes or whatever it might be, um, you're influenced by them to purchase those. And that's what a brand is looking for because you tr- are more likely to trust someone even with a smaller influence and you are with a very large following a lot of times. So the Kim Kardashians of the world isn't necessarily who we trust anymore. We trust the person that we see on Instagram in stories, having conversations with us. And a lot of times they would be considered micro influencers. They could have 500 or more followers um, and be getting paid for those sponsorships, but they're getting paid to do it because that audience is the right fit. And I think that that's where it influencers in the past had gotten kind of a bad stigma that came along with, oh, you're selling out when you work with a sponsor. When something says ad or it's sponsored, they don't truly believe in it. And in reality, the way that I teach influencers to go out and reach and try to work with brands is to think about the products and services that they're already using so that they would naturally be talking about them anyways. And that's where that relationship normally starts. They'll reach out to that brand via email, start a conversation on social media, whatever it might be, and then just show how their audience is the right fit and can pitch them to put together a proposal that is going to be a good fit for both parties. So what would that first message look like if uh, if you're saying to reach out about products that you use already, is it generally reaching out and just you know complimenting the product um, and not even showing any signs that you're a potential micro-influencer uh, and wave, or are you being a little bit more clear up front right from the get-go, you know, who you are and what you're trying to accomplish? I would say be right up front, right from the very beginning, because you're, you have value. If you have 500 followers, if you have 500,000 followers, you, you have, obviously you can charge more, but the value that you bring, if those are followers that are engaged and understand why that they are there and why they're following, then the value is there for that brand in order to pay you to work with them. Um, a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, I get offered to do a review all the time. They're going to send me a $5 product and they want me to put it up on my Instagram stories and they want me to do a carousel photo about it. Well, that's your time and effort. This is your business. That's something you should charge for. So putting together, figuring out what would be the right pricing for that in order for it to be beneficial for you, for the time that you're going to put into it. And also then, of course, for the brand, that the brand is going to build the brand awareness with your audience is ideally what you're looking for. So give me like an example message. If I was like a food blogger and (laughs) I just tried this company's new uh, tomato sauce and it was just incredible and I cooked with it already naturally, I'm like, I could totally make recipes around this and they've got an Instagram I can see. What would be uh, an example of how that message was sound from like a, a food influencer that's got like 15K messaging this pasta sauce company? So 
with that, I would say your best bet is don't even go to necessarily start the conversation on Instagram unless you can't find an email. Find an email first because a person monitoring the email account or excuse me, the Instagram account may not be the right person you want to be talking to. A lot of times they're a little bit younger. Um, they are, you know, they move from company to company. They may oversee multiple social media accounts. Mm-hmm. So your best bet is to find an email address for that company. And then when you actually reach out to them, you want to show the influence that you have. So if you have 15,000 followers and you're doing a ton of reels that get a ton of engagement, I'm going to talk about that in the pitch. I'm going to talk about how my audience is the perfect fit because they're stay at home moms or their moms that are looking to quickly be able to create recipes um, where it uses the tomato sauce and you have found that they're also paying attention to, let's say, the preservatives that go into that tomato sauce. And that was one of the reasons that you liked it. So you want to be able to share how your audience is the perfect fit for the brand. And also at the same time, be able to share that you know what you're talking about when it comes to what they're looking for. So I'm not necessarily going to tell them, well, I'm going to use your tomato sauce and I am going to create these um, mini meatball appetizers that are going to be perfect for sliders. Because when you get that specific, it's too much for them. But if you can say, I'm going to use your and be able to show the healthy ingredients that you use without preservatives in it because of your sauce, that's where they want you. So looking at their website, looking at their products, what do they talk about um, to really share and show that you've done your homework about that product and how it is a good fit for your audience. So that first message, how long would you say that typically is approximately? Email, I always believe should only be anywhere from, I would say you're three paragraphs at the most. And when you see paragraphs, you're going, I'd say three to five paragraphs and you're only doing one to two sentences in each paragraph. Still have like you would write a normal email to a friend. So it's not because they're probably first reading it on their phones as well. So making sure that there's space so that it doesn't seem too overwhelming to them. And the most important piece of it is to make sure you have a call to action. So saying to them at the end, I'd love to send you my meaty kit and a proposal for your review would be the best next step that you can potentially have there. Okay. So you're never saying your rates or price or anything like that. in the first email is kind of where you draw the line of how much you're going to talk about your services. Because otherwise, you don't know if you send that first email with a rate, if they're turned off by the rate or they're turned off by you. Yeah. Whereas if you give them that call to action, send me your media, I'll send you my media kit and proposal if you're interested, that forces them to actually show action that one, they're interested in doing sponsorships and two, they're interested in you. They want to know more. There was something that you said that they want to know more about who your audience is and how you could potentially work together. So let's talk about pricing. I think you probably get this question all the time. What do I charge people if I have this many followers? And the answer is it depends, right? Um, give us give us that gray space. <laughs> yes. So it definitely is gray space. I think there is, we always say it's the wild, wild west of um, when it comes to numbers, because you can work one influence will say I charge this and another influence we'll say I charge that. There's definitely that comes with the experience. I have clients that have been doing this for 
for 10 plus years. They obviously have something under their belt. Their photography is beautiful. They can do a reel or they're even paying someone to do, create the reel for them so that it is, you know, done video and done beautifully. Um, so overall, especially when it comes to Instagram, the kind of understood is that for every 10,000 followers, you can charge a hundred dollars and that's per post per, not necessarily per story, but reels when it comes to video, you can normally charge a little bit more. I would normally say a real minimum is 250. Um, just because it's video, it's more content and it's going to get seen a lot more, especially if you're looking at your insights. Um, so really taking a look and seeing how you can put together a package because they're not necessarily looking for you to do a one-off just post to your feed. If you have multiple social media platforms that comes into the package price that you would give them. If you have a blog and you're going to create blog content, that comes into that package as well. And I think one of the most important things when it comes to a proposal and giving pricing is you're not breaking down. I charge this, this, and this for an Instagram story, an Instagram reel, an Instagram post. You give them that package price and you tell them what the deliverables will be for that. So you're going to charge 1500. You're going to do an Instagram reel, a story, um, a post to your feed, and you're going to do a Facebook post. Let's say if they come back and say, I can't afford We can't afford 1500. Now you can take out the things that you're like, okay, well, this is going to, I'm going to take out my reel. And now that's, I'm going to charge you a thousand for that or whatever it might be so that you still have room and the ability to negotiate without them penny pinching you. Because I've sat in rooms where brands have done presentations, again, the pre-COVID when we used to have conferences, and their brand would say, it's my job to get you for as cheap as possible. The No matter what your price is, I'm cutting it in half. So know that, put together that package so that when they come to you and they take that 1500 and they cut it to 750, now you can take out a larger chunk of what you were going to do. Did you know that you can change what you taste by what you hear? How can you use sound to make a deeper connection with your clients? Can we be healed with sound? Sound influences people in their buying decisions and their daily lives. In the podcast audio branding, I explore all of this, both with my own observations as a voice actor of over 15 years and by interviewing knowledgeable professionals in the field of advertising, marketing, music, and science. To have a listen for yourself, visit audiobrandingpodcast.com. Yeah, giving yourself some room to fall down is definitely it. If you're going to be in a sales position where you're working with people directly, a lot of times the way to to leave that is to let the customer at least feel like they won. So if you know, like they're, they're going to try to talk you down, like leave some room for that to happen and be like, ah, fine for you only, like I'll do this, you know? And then they're like, right. yeah, we did it. And you're like, yeah, everyone gets that deal, you know? So, but like, at least like let it, you know, uh, end like that. Yes. Uh, okay. So um, still with price, I, I, I like that answer where it's the hundred bucks per 10 K followers that you can kind of fall back on with, you know, so many variables in between, but everyone just likes like, what's some kind of milestone to go off of if I'm, you know, charging way too much or, or not nearly enough. Is that corresponding with like a 2% engagement percentage Yes. Yep. They're looking to know what your engagement percentage is. A lot of times it's not necessarily something that you have to have like 
inside of your or proposal, but if they ask, you need to know that information. Um, and also they'll take a look, they'll look and see what kind of comments are you getting? How many views are you getting on your reels? So definitely knowing your information, your stats, your insights for whether it's within social media or even your blog, as far as page views, things of that nature, it's going to be important for sure. I had someone on, on in the past that was an influencer that had a document. I can't remember what she called it. Uh, basically like a resume uh, for being Thank an you. influencer, you know, how many followers you got out everywhere yeah. and the engagement and stuff like that. Is that a one page document that you yes. recommend everyone have? Yep. So that would be your media kit. And media it's exactly kit, yeah. like you say, it's like a resume more or less, but it's meant for your influence, what it is that you do um, and tells the data about your audience. What age group are they? Where do they fall? Um, are they primarily US-based? What does that look like percentage-wise, male, female? Um, as much information as you can possibly give, the better off you're going to be. What do you uh, find brands are really looking for nowadays apart from engagement or like is uh, percentage of followers from a certain country, a, re- a really big poll that you can, uh, like what, which metric gives you the most uh you know, hold on your, on your pricing? I think it really depends upon, I mean, one, if the company, depending upon where the company is based and if it's going to be able to get shipped, because we obviously know now that we've had multiple shipping issues around the country. Um, so I think if you are a U.S. based influencer and it's a U.S. based company, that's going to definitely bode well. If your audience is that as well, just makes it easier to be able to get the product and service. That's not to say though, that if you live in Spain and your audience is primarily U.S. based, that the U.S. company won't ship it out to you in order for you to be that influencer for them because you have that audience. But I think what really brands are looking for right now is they're looking for you to be able to build their brand awareness. So finding the ways that you're going to be able to get more eyes, more people onto their content is what they value the most. So if you're having extreme success on TikTok, um, in Instagram reels, doing Instagram stories where you're creating a poll and then you get 500 DMs afterwards about the question that you asked or whatever it might be. That's what they're looking for. What is your specialty? Where do your people engage and interact with you? Because it's not the same for everyone. And they're looking for that one person that has their own way of kind of engaging with people. I have clients that their stories they'll get a DM every single time from almost every single follower that they have when they ask certain questions or they talk about specific topics. And brands love that, especially when you're talking about them. So if that's where you can show what is in your DMs, then that's fine. It's just really finding what makes you different as the influencer for that audience. Would you say TikTok gives influencers a really big uh, edge right now because a lot of brands don't like, like they're still like refusing to learn it like at all. Like, and like, even like the, the young kid at their company is like, I, I don't even know it. So like they're, they're really in need of TikTok content that they don't know how to create. Yes, definitely. I think TikTok definitely makes a difference to them. Um, and they're trying to really understand how it's going to fit into their marketing and what kind of audience they're going to attract over there. Because I know there's certain influencers will say, I've done really well on TikTok. My people are there. They're there for my content. Um, And I have others that say, it just, I can be huge on Instagram, but my people are just not going over to TikTok looking for my content because it's educational or for whatever reason it might be. Um, So I think 
the biggest difference between Instagram and TikTok right now is one, the brands don't know exactly how well it works. And two, the pricing is tough because it is still so new. And you've got such huge discrepancies in people as far as you've got someone who has 2 million followers on TikTok and they've got 1,200 on Instagram. So TikTok isn't as established yet. So it's not like you, I you know, gave you those numbers, 10,000 followers, you can charge $100 on Instagram. It's not exactly the way on TikTok. But I will say TikTok is video. Anytime you're doing video, you should have like a minimum price for your time and for your energy that you're putting into to create it. So going into it, knowing that um, is important. And obviously my best suggestion would be talk to other influencers. There's got to be other influencers that you've kind of created a relationship with or met on TikTok because you're in the same niche. You've got certain people talking about the same people because they do similar things or similar topics ask them. I think one of the best policies is if influencers just talked about how much money that they actually charged and made for certain things, we wouldn't have those that are undercharging and then coming back to other influencers and saying, well, she only charged this. Um, We would just have this open kind of, this is what we charge for things. And this is why it'd be much easier. Got it. Got it. So TikTok is still kind of figuring out it's uh, pricing standards and uh, rightfully so because the engagement is way more hit or miss over there. Uh, it's still posting so much to people outside of your following that like you can have 10K followers and still get like 200 views, like 1800 views and like 18,000 views, like 2 million views, like 400 views. And it still is just like uh, so much per like the po- like how good the post is, which is really why their algorithm does so well is it it really just takes into consideration like the content so much more than any other factor, even if, if someone follows them, they're like, well, the post isn't doing that well, so we're not going to show it to you. Um, so it's it's much harder. I, I think brands could definitely pay a TikTok influencer for a post that totally flops a lot easier on there than on on reels that will kind of just show to their base following regardless. Yes. No, absolutely. And I think that that's why it's so important. Like if you are going to pitch is that is a piece of your proposal as a TikTok influencer, you have to know what works and what doesn't work and what's going to be actually able to deliver. Because one of the most important things as an influencer is being able to give them that ROI so that you can get long-term contracts. We don't want this to be a one and done. You only work with a brand once because your audience is going to say, well, why is she talking about this company and that company and this company and that company? If you could consistently talk about that same company and be getting paid to do that, that's ideally what both of us want, the brand and the influencer. So it's really about being able to create those long-term relationships so that you're consistently talking about the same brand. So making sure that you are able to deliver, you do understand your insights and what works on each platform for you. Because your goal is to produce a positive ROI so that you can get the repeat business from them, do you ever set up performance-based deals so that you can really guarantee them that you're going to get them a certain amount of results in order to be paid a certain level? So I think it really, that will come down to what is the 
what is the performance for that? What are they looking for, right? Why does their KPI or key performance indicator for the campaign? I think that's the important conversation that has to happen because a lot of times influencers, when they do sponsorships, the brand's KPI is to build brand awareness. And sometimes they're not really clear on how they're going to measure that because it's not necessarily a sale. Let's say, for example, I talked about that tomato sauce and I created that recipe. They, just because they saw it, on Instagram today does not mean that they're going to make that recipe today. It is more likely that the next time that mom goes shopping, she may choose a different tomato sauce because she's like, oh, wait a second. She was talking about how it's less preservatives. And that could be a week, two weeks from now when she decides she wants to make tomato sauce. So because of that, it's a little bit more difficult for them to decide how they would measure it performance-based because it's not based on a sale. It's really based on the overall awareness and knowing in the back of the mind that the that parent is seeing it. So um, I think when it comes to sponsorships and performance, I look at more performance as a sale. So that to me is more affiliate advertising than it would be sponsorships. And you'll just get more money based off of more sales, obviously, because it's affiliate. So what if it was like, I'm going to make a reel for your company. If it gets over 10,000 views, you pay me this. If it gets over 15,000, 20,000, do you ever recommend doing something like that? Um, I've never had someone actually do that a client wise, or I never even had done that when I used to do sponsorships myself. That's not to say that it's not a bad idea. You obviously, again, know your data know that you're going to be able to deliver that amount of views or whatever it might be based upon that content. However, the algorithm is going to affect it as well. Yeah. I just, uh, personally, I always like to give people like I'll put like my money where my mouth is deals. Cause it yeah. just makes me perform. And I just like, would like to do that. Like if you just get paid the same amount for this reel and you can just be like tomato sauce, like check it out. It's in bio. And then they're like, damn it. Like, why do we pay this? Like I, I kind of want to give them, or I feel like I, I'd want to like that, uh, extra assurance that like, I'm really going to do my best in this. Cause if I don't even get that many views, like you're going to barely pay me anything for this. Um, so I, I just feel like I, I would want to work with someone who would give me that just because I've seen so many people put in like half-ass effort after they get paid or, or they just talk about it in a way that they don't want to at all, or they do the hashtags wrong the posting time wrong. Doesn't even make sense why it didn't go anywhere, but it didn't go anywhere. Um, and then maybe the influencer could say, let me do another post and try to get those extra views or something like that. Yes. And I would say that if you are an influencer, the majority, especially if you're trying to do, make it long-term, they're not doing it. This is what this is. They're not doing just like a product review. It's more, they're going to incorporate it into their normal way of doing things on Instagram. So if you have a food blogger that normally has these beautiful kind of quick hands and pans that works well for Instagram reels. So they're super quick, have the trending music and also have those transitions. Um, that's what I would expect to see for that spaghetti sauce. I would expect to see that as well. Yeah. And so should the brand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when do you like from the business side of things, when they're choosing to work with an influencer, what's the minimum amount, uh, that someone should pay an influencer? Like, uh, as far as like how much content they're getting, because if they pay for like one post, uh, there's not much that they can expect. And, uh, you know, that person posting, 
multiple times to that same audience is is a lot of times what's going to be necessary for that tomato sauce to eventually get bought. Do you recommend brands more look for what influencers can we work with for a minimum of six months or a year or a minimum of five posts or where do they draw the line of like the minimum amount that they should work with someone to actually expect results? Yeah, I think that a lot of times a brand will want to get their feet wet with an influencer and see that they can actually deliver first. Um, And as that other side of it, as the influencer, I don't want to simply just do a post to my feed because I know that that's probably not going to do as well as if I did an actual proposal package where they're doing not only the post, but it's doing the reel and I'm doing the stories and I'm doing the follow-up that goes along with it. Um, That's going to do better because my people are hearing about it more than just simply once. So I think it's kind of both sides have to be able to realize that you can't have an, brands can't have just an influencer do one post to their feed and an influencer needs to know to then add in a package to be able to say, okay, I'm going to get this in front of them multiple times, maybe different ways to be able to get delivered. Um, so they can see that there is that engagement and that ROI. So if a brand was like, I want to test this influencer out, what do you say? Like we'll buy three posts from them is maybe like the the tester number that you'd really say rather than a single? Yeah. And I wouldn't even necessarily, like I wouldn't make them simply just post to the feed. I would say like throw in a reel, have some stories that go along with it because you do, you want that like almost trifecta of everything coming together and it being able to continue to put it in front of them in different mediums. So we know that reels, you have the, you know, the ability to get in front of people that don't necessarily follow them yet. Why stories, we know we're getting in front of their people. Um, so I think having the different features within Instagram, especially if you're looking at Instagram is going to be important. Do the sales campaigns work better for stories than then the brand awareness is better for reels? Um, because the trust factor is already there with their story people. Yes. And it has changed as of recently because stories for a, a bit took some effort if they didn't have 10,000 followers because they didn't have swipe up. Now, of course, with the link with stories, you have that simple ability. Although I actually am a big proponent of influencers, not simply relying on that link that they're able to click in within stories, but to actually engage with them using a poll and telling them, you know, to have that conversation so they can then actually get that link into DMs and get popped to the front of the um, actual story bubbles so that they're continually in front of them um, rather than just a link click where they could be swiping and then off of it and forget about it and get distracted, whatever else it might be. Um, But yes, I think that you definitely have more of an engaged audience there because they are your people that are watching your stories. The story engagement algorithm changed, I I think about a year and a half ago where it uh, like uh, I was talking about with TikTok before, where it's more that piece of content uh, that day matters more for its ranking than how much you engage with that person in the past or whatever. So like if you DM them, if you like all their posts, they're going to be higher on the feed naturally. But sometimes even like that number one person that you engage with all the time will be story number 20 
if Instagram deems their story boring that day, based off of a lot of people have been exiting off of it, it will still bury it. So people will get more varying uh, story impressions nowadays. Like before it was like almost always within like a 10 to 20% fluctuation window. And now we'll be like, like I'll get like 60 and like 900, you know, like it will range between that. Like, um, and it's funny if I, if I go on video and talk, like it just gets no views. Um, and I think a lot of people do this because it, it makes sense. It's like a good time, but like no one really wants to sit there and, and watch. Like they just want like quick consumption. So like, if you're going to do like eight slides of like talking about something with like lots of ums and like thinking of your examples on the spot, it doesn't really work well. But when I do like just text, black screen, white text, and I just give tips, it gets so many views. Um, Cause people are like, yeah, I'll read this. It doesn't like take me that much energy to like sit here and watch you and, and such. Um, but for that reason, the stories can be probably very, um, it's, but when it's promotional, especially like that story is going to barely get anything. So the, the people giving the content to these, um, influencers really kind of need to know that and say like, post this as your first story. So you can get a lot of views and like whatever day they post that story, depending on what else they have on their story could make a massive difference to the amount of views they get. Yes. And I think it's also important that the influencer knows that, right? A lot of times the influencers are getting pressured by brands to do just a picture within their feed of that product. Well, the influencer knows that's not going to do well. Yeah. And they have to be able to articulate that to the brand and say, listen, my audience doesn't want that. If you want engagement, let me do stories, reels, and this, make it a recipe so that, and then I can talk about the fact that your product is in it and then it's sponsored and all the things that you want me to get in there. But I can't have my beautiful shot be of your tomato sauce. That's not going to work. Um, and I think that that's important that the influencer, the majority of the time knows a lot more than the actual brand, especially if they're larger brands, like we're talking about, they don't want to go on to TikTok. Well, the influencers, the ones, you know, figuring it out and seeing what works best for their audience. And I totally agree with you as far as talking to the camera, the best ones are like when you can give them just one sentence on a slide and continue to build slide by slide on the topic that you're talking about, but allowing them to read it, um, not necessarily listening to it. Yeah, to the point where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to do it anymore. And I'd like to see other people's results. But I, I keep putting it out there as like a common tip, like just don't even talk on your stories anymore. Like, I don't know if it's like, are, are the hot girls seeing way better numbers than I am talking on their stories, but um, it doesn't work for me. Um, or like, they're just like, I don't want to, I don't want to listen to this. Um, but uh, I think it's just so astronomically better when it's just text or something that's easier for them to follow. Um, that I pr pretty much putting it out there everywhere now that you shouldn't really do that. Yes. And I think it's important too, that the text is minimal, right? We don't want like a paragraph long that they have to hold it down. Cause a lot of them don't, they're not going to hold it down. They're just going to hit exit. They're like, whatever. I don't want to take the time to read this. So I think it's important. Like you're doing minimal sentence, one sentence per slide, whatever it is, and building upon what it is that you're teaching them or inspiring them or educating them on whatever it might be. So we've talked about a lot now. We talked about um, how to get in touch with brands and how to pitch yourself. And I know you have a guide that um, we'll talk about in a second here that people can get more thorough, uh, detailed um, you know, strategy of how to do that. Uh, we talked about pricing um, and also on the business side of things, like when they're working with influencers, you know, a little bit uh, of tips in that regard. Um, is there anything else that you think we should talk about before we sign off here or talk about your guide? 
Yeah. I just think that when it comes to being an influencer, if you're going to look at yourself that way, whether you're a business that has a product that you're a personal brand, that you can be an influencer, just understand your worth, know your value and be able to explain the audience that you have to that brand because that's what they care about. They don't care about you as the influencer. They care about the audience that you have. I cannot stress that. That's probably the most important piece. And it's often what the influencers miss the most. They'll say, oh, well, I do this and I do that and I do this. And then nobody cares. They just care about your audience. Love it. Uh, So what is the guide that you have for everyone? Yes. So my pitch cheat guide actually gives you a checklist that walks you through what to include in your pitch to a brand. Um, And I also give you multiple examples of converting emails that I have sent when I had my the Melrose family, as well as some tips and tweaks that clients have made over the years as things have kind of changed here and there with algorithms and brands paying attention to specifics. Cool, cool. Well, I'll link that in the description. Uh, it's only $500, guys. No, it's on sale for free today, though, for the podcast listeners. Jenny, thank you so much for coming on. Um, again, her podcast is the Entrepreneur, the Influencer Entrepreneur Podcast. Okay, cool. I almost flipped yes. it thinking I got it wrong before. You're fine. Influencer Entrepreneur Podcast, and they can find you on Instagram. It, at Jenny underscore Melrose. Jenny underscore Melrose. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks so much. I'll talk to you later. Thanks so much, Derek.